Hello, and welcome to Saga Shorts, where we're taking a break from the sagas of the Icelanders. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Yes, after a long year and some change of working with Ale Saga, John and I thought it might be fun to do some Saga Shorts to just cleanse the palate a little bit. Right, so really more of a busman's holiday than a break. Yes. Uh, now, if you, in case you've forgotten since the last one of these, uh, Saga Shorts is all about the Thatter, or short stories, of medieval Iceland. So far, we've covered the tale of Thorsten Staffstruck, the tor- tale of Thorsten Bullleg, and the tale of Jokul Buasen. Yes, and since we are sitting around in quarantine, hiding from the coronavirus, we thought, what better time than now for a quick dive into the Icelandic Thatter? These short tales can be a lot of fun, and they're relatively easy to prepare. Andy, I resent the implication that we're hiding from the coronavirus. I prefer to think of it as fighting a rear guard action. Oh, is that what we're doing? Okay. Yes. Uh, and I'd say easy to prepare is very important at this stage because uh, like many of our colleagues all over the world, uh, we've been transitioning our classes online on very mm-hmm. short order, and it's a lot of work. Uh, the Saga Shorts are a good way for us to keep up with Saga thing while still doing our jobs. <laughs> Yes. And speaking of that online transition, John, I know that I make a lot of fun of you for being technologically impaired, but (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about you. How's it going out there? Oh, it's going. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I had about 72 hours notice uh, to turn all four of my classes into an online version of themselves, which, of course, meant I also had to work out how online works. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that's going better than I thought it would, but partly because I'm leaning very heavily on the limited skill set that I've developed from doing this podcast for so many years. I'm actually producing podcasts for my students for each of our class meetings. Well, there you go. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm actually doing some podcasts as well, um, and the students are liking the format. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of my classes, I'm doing uh, lectures through an app called Edpuzzle, which allows you to stop and ask questions um, and get responses from them. And that's worked out really well. So I... If you're out there in teacher land and wondering how to get them to actually pay attention to the PowerPoint lectures <laughs> you post online, I would recommend Edpuzzle as a way of uh, getting them to actually uh, listen. Right. So uh, it, it's going pretty well, though. I, I, I yeah. kind of actually uh, I like the format that, I, that I'm using. So That's uh, great. All is well. Right. But all the problem is well. there is that um, this has meant that we've both been essentially relearning our jobs over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, While uh, also uh, both of us now, of course, have children at home because our our Mm -hmm. kids are out of school for the duration. Uh, So uh, we like the idea of these shorter episodes. And in fact, we've decided that since we know a lot of other people are sitting indoors just like we are, uh, we might make April the month of saga shorts. That's right. We're going to be coming at you uh, in quarantine land with a new saga short every single week for the month of April. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Hold on, John. Yeah. We've made promises before. (laughs) Every week? Is this something we can really do? I mean, we talked about this before we recorded. (laughs) I can't (laughs) believe you're as surprised as you sound, but you said it yourself. Saga shorts are quicker to prepare. I don't see why we can't put one out every week. Every week. What what I want to know is, I know we talked about this before, but I want to know if you're really sure you can do it. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I feel confident enough to say that we can do it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you success, what. Success, Andy, is uh, you know set unrealistic goals for yourself and then drive yourself into an early grave trying to achieve them. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal. Yeah. I'll agree to do one a week if you agree to edit at least one of the episodes. Well, I mean, I hear that sounds like a challenge. Um, yes. W- would yes. you agree to Not- share the research duties? Of course. 
All and right. let me let me just add, right. uh, editing one of these episodes is not a challenge to a normal person, but to you, <laughs> well, maybe. Oh, oh, you're on uh, because of okay. course I am now editing my own podcasts to my students. So sure, go. I'll edit one of the episodes. Uh, tell you what, right. let's not let's not tell anyone which one I do, and see if people can figure it out based on how incompetent it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it'll be fine. We'll make and it a you're fun on. little game for everyone. Yeah. All right. So one saga short a week, and may God have mercy on our souls. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It'll be fine. Now, uh, sure. now, Andy, you chose this first voucher. Uh Why don't you uh, tell the nice people a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. You know, way back when we first started Ale Saga, I had a dinner with uh, Chris Callow from the University of Birmingham after he gave us talk on slavery in the Icelandic sagas. Yeah, that's that's Birmingham, England, right? Yes. Yeah, that is actually a good question these days. Uh, it's not Alabama. I know I live right. in Mississippi now, so I automatically think of Alabama when I hear Birmingham. Anyway, at, at dinner, either Chris or Lindy Brady recommended that we do the tale of Thorstein Shiver. And it's been so long, I can't remember which one of them mentioned it first. But I've been waiting to do this one since that moment. Right. Well, it's an excellent choice. I mean, it's a... Uh, it is. You know, I feel like it, it, it might fit better as a Halloween tale, but that's not where we are on the calendar. So That's uh, true. In addition to being a great story, the tale of Thorsten Shiver is the story of how an Icelander received his nickname. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, this is right. This is up my street. I'm looking forward to sharing this one. Yeah. Yeah. A, a few quick bits of business that we need to cover before we get started. Sure. Yeah. So for starters, let's touch on the manuscript history really briefly. So the tale of Thorstein Shiver is one of several short stories inserted into the Flatair book compiler's recension of the saga of King Olaf Tryggvason. So the text we're working with here, it comes to us from that late 14th century manuscript. Right. Okay. But that's the manuscript. Any idea when the actual story was written? Not, you know, you know, we don't really know, John. (laughs) The only guess that I saw in looking it up was that it was likely written around the year 1300, but Mm -hmm. I I really don't know what that's being based on. Right. And even then, I mean, when we say written, there's still the oral tradition to worry about as well. Right. I I was just being facetious asking the question. I mean, around 1300 is as fair a guess as any. Uh, Mm -hmm. We should probably also remind people about a few names they'll hear in the Thotter. Yes. The first and easiest is King Olaf Tryggvason. Uh, We've spoken about him quite a bit before. He's popped up in a few sagas, so we won't dwell on him. Uh, But Olaf was the king of Norway from the year 995 to the year 1000, and he was particularly important in the effort to convert the Scandinavians and the Icelanders to Christianity. That's right. And we spoke about him briefly when we were guests on Rex Factor's special episode on Sigrid the Haudi. Oh, yes. Remember, King Olaf pursued Sigrid's hand in marriage, but insisted that she convert to Christianity before he'd accept her. And then when she refused... He slapped her in the face with his glove, a move he deeply regret. Yeah. Um, No, that's not great. But you have to consider that that's actually one of the more lenient uh, ways he treats people who uh, offend him. Olaf wasn't known for having a gentle approach to others, especially when it came to conversion. Uh, Anyway, that's King Olaf. Uh, He rules until the year 1000 and then disappears after jumping overboard during the Battle of Svolder. The battle, of course, that Sigrid uh, helped to drum up against him in revenge for that slap. That's right. Uh, now, this thotter takes place sometime during that relatively short reign, but obviously before the Battle of Svolder. Good. Okay, so the ne- the second name that you might want to know is Starkov the Old. Now, there's a lot we could say about him, 
I think he's come up before, but uh, it's not really the whole history of Starkov isn't really relevant to his usage in the text. So we'll just say that he's a figure from the legendary stories of Scandinavia. And not just any legendary figure, I think. Uh, Starkov is part human and part giant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his foster father, who just happened to be Odin, not to name drop, uh, blessed him with an unusual longevity. Yes, thus the nickname The Old, since Starkov seems to be around for a very long time, something like three lifetimes. Right. Uh, And Starkov is known for his incredible strength and wisdom as well. Uh, But unfortunately for Starkov, Thor hates the giants. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Thor cursed Starkov to wander about without lands or children, to commit terrible crimes, and to receive the worst wounds in battle. Oh, and he'd never be able to remember poems, which is... Particularly cruel from a saga writer's perspective. <laughs> it is. It is. Do you know Starkov um, is the first guy to uh, get his uh, his mouth hit with a sword and his jaw drops down and he picks his beard up and puts it in his mouth to keep... The... When, you, when you say the first guy, what do you mean? How is that? Uh, how are you calculating I mean, first? <laughs> maybe that, that was poorly phrased, but uh, we did a... Remember, we did a saga oh, yes. uh, a while back. Yep. <laughs> and so clearly there's a, there's a, uh, a little connection there. It's supposed to evoke <laughs> the image of Starkov the Old. Sure. But I don't remember who that was <laughs> or what saga <laughs> it was either. Uh, we've, we've been working very hard, folks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, all the suffering that Starkov uh, experiences in his life would have no doubt prepared him for what he is said to experience in the tale of Thorstein Shiver that we're about to uh, start talking about. So uh, what do you say? Uh, are you ready to jump in? Well, there's a, one more bit of business here. What's that, John? I thought we covered everything. I, I can't believe you've forgotten. Well, clearly I have. Otherwise, I I would have set we, we you need, up. <laughs> we have to let everyone know how many desikels, how many <laughs> tenths of a hrovnkel this thouter is. The desikels measurement. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I did forget <laughs> about that. What a silly idea. I think you came up with it. I don't think I did. I think you probably came up with that. Well, one of us did. But if I did, it wouldn't be any surprise because while you may be a master of puns and bad jokes, John... <laughs> <laughs> Many of our more embarrassing moments in Saga Thing history come directly from my addled brain. Uh, but go ahead. How many desikels is the tale of Thorstein Shiver? Well, uh, I have to say you've chosen a bit of a pipsqueak for us uh, this time out. Thorstein Shiver Easy comes in. Yes, he's a, a feathery light 1.08 desikels. 1.08. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we would need 10 of these to make one Hravenkel? Roughly, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It's not much. And honestly, if you open a book and look at the tale of Thorstein Shiver, you'll see um, it's barely more than three pages long. If you happen to have a copy of the the Penguin collection of the Sagas of Icelanders, uh, you can find this one near the back. Uh, I believe it's also available in Ralph O'Connor's Icelandic Histories and Romances. Excellent. And obviously in the Complete Sagas of Icelanders, uh, if you happen to have sprung for the five-volume hardcover series. Right. Yes. Um, excellent. Okay. Uh, now, before we start properly... Let's go ahead and set the scene. The tale begins with King Olaf Tryggvason attending a feast at a farm called Reim in Vik. We're told that the king had a large company with him, as kings often do, and one of the men in his company is an Icelander called Thorstein Thorkelson. Okay, now, to give you a sense of where we are in the saga world right now, Thorstein is the grandson of Askir Scatterbrain, who is the son of Alvin Shaft. Andy, do those, uh, mm-hmm. those names sound familiar? Well, they do, but only because I just taught Gretchen Saga. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't remember. Right. 
Right. That's right. Uh, Oscar Scatterbrain is the half-brother of Thorgrim the Greyhead. Who was the father of Ausmund. Right. Who was the father of Greta the Strong. That's right. Which makes Thorstein and Greta second cousins, at least through their mother, according to Greta's saga. Yeah. The family tree, uh, I don't know if you've looked into this, but it looks a little different in Laxdala saga, but uh, uh-huh. we don't need to delay over that. Well, okay, we won't delay over that, but I think we can delay just for a quick nickname refresher. Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> we haven't even gotten past the first paragraph of this very, very short story, but let's pause some more. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I mean, look, these aren't long texts, Andy. We don't vamp <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Besides, uh, delaying is what we do best. So uh-huh. Oscar Scatterbrain, uh, as you said, he's from Gretter's Saga. Which means we covered Scatterbrain in the nickname section there, I think. But go ahead, refresh my memory. Who is this guy who isn't even in this Thouter? <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. Uh, actually, we talked about his nickname uh, in Vatnsdala Saga. Did we really? Uh, yeah, his nickname Scatterbrain or Avakola. Back then we decided, or let's be honest, I decided, that the That's translation fair. Scatterbrain didn't really do justice. Since the word Avakola breaks down to rageful crown or frenzied head. Yeah, or hot head. So Oscar is maybe being characterized as someone with a fast-moving but disorderly mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, well... Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. One, <laughs> one last thing to note. This Thouter is mostly dialogue. So we're going to do our best to just tell the story saga thing theater style. And then we're going to have a quick chat about that the whole thing after we finish. Is that all right? Are uh, you ready? You're asking me if I'm ready for saga thing theater 3000. That's right. I am. <laughs> no. Ab- I was born ready for that. All right. Saga thing theater presents... The Tale of Thorstein Shiver. Thorstein Thorkelson is an Icelander who's traveling in the company of King Olaf Tryggvason, and they've stopped at a farm called Rain near Vik, Norway. It's evening. The king's large company has filled the hall, and they're all sitting at the drinking tables, having a great time. And as the evening draws to a close, King Olaf stands up to address the hall. Listen, dear friends, listen. We have much to celebrate tonight. Please enjoy and give thanks to our noble host. A quick word of warning to you all before we settle in for a much-needed rest. After all this drinking, I'm sure that some of you will feel the urge to relieve yourselves in the middle of the night. It's natural. But if you do feel such an urge, I beg you... Please, do not visit the privy alone. You must awaken your bedfellow and go together. Now, should you choose to ignore this warning, you will be guilty of disobeying me. I tell you this for your own good friends. Now drink and be merry. After an evening of drinking, the tables are taken down and everyone goes to bed. Now in the middle of the night, Thorstein the Icelander awakens with a sudden and urgent need to use the privy. He remembers the king's warning and looks at the man lying next to him. He's sleeping soundly and Thorstein can't bear to wake him. (laughs) And so he gets up quietly, slips his shoes on, throws a heavy cloak over his shoulders 
and makes his way to the outhouse. Right. Okay, we should be clear that it's not just that Thorsten is being a, a kind and considerate bedfellow here. His decision to leave that man sleeping and ignore the king's warning is is pretty typical of what we'd expect from an Icelander in a Thouter. Mm. Uh, they're, they're almost characterized as stubborn and fiercely independent, often ignoring the advice of the kings, even when it's good advice, uh, and the advice of other noblemen they encounter in their journeys. So it's not really a surprise that Thorsten would shrug off Olaf's command that he bring a partner with him to the bathroom and that he should head to the privy um, by himself. Shh, John. This is Saga Thing Theater. We don't comment now. <laughs> not even on that? All right, no. sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on. The privy may be outside, but it's an impressive one. There's room inside for 11 people to sit on each side. 11 people on each side. Well, that's right, yes. It's big. Well, I can see why Thorsten waited until everybody else was asleep. <laughs> the place sounds like a nightmare during the high traffic hours. Well, I, you know, I don't think people were as shy about their basic bodily functions back then as we are now. Yes, but I'm not back then, and I'm with Thorsten. <laughs> be, just be quiet. <laughs> Thorsten has plenty of space to do his duty. There's the... <laughs> Jackass. There's no one else around, just Thorsten, the darkness, and the smell of the privy after a feast. Lovely. He chooses the seat nearest the door and sits down. You do paint a picture with words. (laughs) (laughs) And after a few moments, he hears a light scratching sound coming from the far end of the room. And then he sees the strangest thing. A small, dark figure emerging from the hole of the seat farthest from him on the bench. Oh boy. The figure climbs up out of the hole, blinks a few times, and then sits down on the seat and looks in Thorstein's direction. Right. Now, the Icelandic text at this point uses the word puke, uh, which is usually translated as demon or, as Klisby Vigvason defines it, an imp or a wee devil. Right. So... Thorsten is sitting there just trying to do his late night business and a wee devil crawls up out of a toilet hole. It's It's got to be. I mean, that's a hell of a shock for Thorsten. <laughs> I mean, a dark outhouse at night can be creepy enough. Then you hear this scratching sound in the dark part of the room and that ups the creepy level a little bit to frightening. You look closer. Something is crawling up out of the toilet, out of the privy yeah. hole. I don't know how you respond to something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, this, this, and then you realize it's a demon. Let's just add that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> fortunately, he's already in the right position to crap himself because I think that's the only appropriate response. John, John, you really are terrible at this saga thing theater stuff, aren't you? You just can't. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't set me up like that. I can't help it. Go ahead. Well, Thorstein, being a cool, calm, and collected Icelander, doesn't seem bothered by the sudden appearance of an outhouse demon, or at least. He doesn't let on that he is. He looks into the darkness and he says, Who's there? It's Thorkel the Thin, who fell upon corpses with King Harald Wartooth. And where did you come from? Why, I'm freshly arrived from hell. Really? What can you tell me of that place? Ah, that depends. What do you want to know? Hmm. Well, I've heard of many torments in hell. Tell me, who endures them best? No one endures them better than Sigurd Fafnispain. Interesting. And tell me, what kind of torments does Sigurd suffer in hell? 
Oh, Sigurd is tasked with kindling the oven. Hmm, kindling the oven. That doesn't sound so bad to me. Ah, don't misunderstand me. Sigurd is the kindling. I see. There's something in that, then. But tell me, demon, who has the hardest time enduring the torments of hell? Ah, that would be Starkath the Old. He takes it worse than most. You should hear him crying out so terribly day after day. His screaming is a greater torment to the rest of us fiends than anything else we've experienced. There's no end to it. That does sound terrible. Tell me, what kind of torment is he suffering that makes such a brave man cry out like that? Well, he's up to his ankles in the fires of hell. That's all? His ankles? Starkath was a great warrior. A little ankle fire doesn't sound like much for a man like that. No, 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 no. Once again, you don't understand. Only the soles of his feet are sticking up out of the flames. Well, then, that really is something. But I wonder, demon, would you let me hear what that scream sounds like? Can you scream like that for me? Oh, I can do that. He creeps one seat closer to Thorsten. It's a major violation of personal space in a toilet. <laughs> uh, and then he opens his jaws wide and he fills the room with a great and horrific howl. Now, Thorsten has that cloak that he brought with him and he pulls the fur trim of that cloak up around his head. But he isn't impressed by the scream. He says, is that the best he can scream? Oh no, far from it. That is how we petty devils cry. I see. But can you cry like Starkath for me? Just once. Fine. Now, again, the demon slides one seat closer so that there are now only four seats between them. And once again, the demon opens his jaws even wider this time and lets out a howl so terrible that Thorsten is amazed that just such a sound can come out of a creature so small. That's not the first time that happened in a, in a bathroom, huh? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Now, Thorsten had tried to prepare for the sound by wrapping the cloak around his head once, but the cry's too much for him. His body goes limp, and he faints. And then the outhouse is silent. Why are you so quiet over there? At this point, Thorsten slowly recovers and he says, Well, because I am in awe. Honestly, I am amazed at what a horrible voice you have, seeing how small you are. But tell me, demon, was that the loudest Starkoth has cried? Yes, and the demon is smiling at him and says, Not even close. Well, then stop shilly-shallying and let me hear how loud he can get. Now the demon sidles over one more seat. Now there are only three seats between them. Then the little devil squares his shoulders, opens his jaws even wider than before, so wide that it looks like the mouth of hell itself. And as the demon readies himself, Thorsten takes the cloak and winds it around his head multiple times now, and he holds it there tightly with his hands over his ears. Not that it does any good, because the demon lets out a howl so loud and so horrifying that Thorsten thinks he might surely die. The sound penetrates down to the darkest depths of his soul. When you're on a toilet, that's pretty deep. And then his body goes numb. He feels himself falling to the floor. And then as his eyes begin to close, 
hears the church bells ringing. Such a glorious sound. The demon's eyes go wide at the sound of the bells. He stops screaming and dives quickly down into the floor. But there's no escape. The ringing of the bells can be heard even deep down in the ground for some time after. So we're supposed to believe that he dived down into the floor in a room full of latrines. Well, he did crawl up out of the latrines, so... <laughs> I think he went spelunking. I mean, uh, you think that's better than hell or worse than hell? I or? mean... <laughs> he's clearly got a sideline as a Dunnikin diver. I think he'll be <laughs> fine. Uh, so with that, the demon is gone. Thorsten recovers, pulls himself together, goes back to bed as if nothing had happened. And in the morning, when everyone gets up, King Olaf goes immediately to the chapel for Mass. Uh, And afterwards, everyone sits down in the hall to await breakfast. It's clear to all that King Olaf is not in a good mood. <laughs> yeah. Olaf looks around the hall with a disapproving glare. No one dares to move, much less speak. And then he asks, Did anyone go alone to the outhouse last night? Thorsten immediately steps toward the king and lays himself on the floor prostrate at his feet. Forgive me, my lord. I was the one who disobeyed your command. Now Olaf just motions for Thorsten to get up and says, Well, it was not such a serious offense against me, Thorsten. But I think you've proven what is often said about you Icelanders. You're just a stubborn people. It has been said, my lord. But tell me, Thorsten, what happened last night? Thorsten stands up and tells the whole story of his visit to the privy and how the demon crawled out of the toilet hole and revealed the secrets of hell to him, and how the wee devil screamed. Great. Now, Olaf is kind of wondering at this incredible story from Thorsten. Why did you ask the demon to scream like that? What did you hope to accomplish? Well, my lord, I remembered that you had warned us all not to go alone to the privy last night. Once the devil showed up, I knew that we two would not be parting unharmed. But I also figured that you would wake up when he cried out, my lord. And I knew that with your help, I would not come to harm. Well, you were right, Thorsten. The cries of the demon did awaken me from my sleep, and I quickly realized what was going on. I had the church bell rung, because I thought that would be enough to help you. Thank you, my lord. But weren't you frightened, Thorsten, when the demon began to scream? Now Thorsten looks into King Olaf's eyes, and he says... I don't know what it is to be frightened, my lord. <laughs> Was there no fear in your heart? Not at all. But when he cried out that last time, 
I did nearly feel a shiver. A shiver! Now, King Olaf is very pleased with this. He claps his hands together and smiles. From now on, my friend, you will be known as Thorstein Shiver. And with that, he reaches down under the table, comes up with a fine sword, which, of course, he just happened to have laying under there. Please take this sword as a gift to remind you of the day you earned your nickname. Then Thorstein thanks King Olaf and returns to his seat. And it is said that Thorstein Shiver became one of King Olaf's personal guards soon after this. Thorstein served King Olaf until he fell alongside the king's other champions aboard the Long Serpent, King Olaf's longship, at the Battle of Svolder. And that is the short, short tale of Thorstein Shiver. I mean, it is a short story, but there's a lot to unpack there. Well, where do you want to start? Um, I think we can start with form. Uh, how is yawn for an answer oh, to that? come on. I mean, it's about the only thing scholars have talked about when they acknowledge the existence of this thought art. That's true, but that's only because the 20th century scholars were so deeply in love with structuralism and formalism. Aye, they really were. Uh, and it shows in most of the studies of sagas from that period. Anyway, we, uh, we spoke a bit about Joseph Harris's categorization of thought or subgenres back in our first saga short, so I, I won't review that whole conversation here. But he identified a variety of types, and most of the thought we'll be reading on saga shorts falls into what he called the King and Icelander category. Right, and it seems to me, at least at first glance, that the tale of Thorstein Shiver would fit nicely into that category, because it does, after all, feature a king and a stubborn Icelander, so those boxes are checked. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But there are some boxes that aren't checked if we follow Harris's definition of the subgenre. Yes, these thought or tell of an encounter between a king and an Icelander, but those tales also are typically supposed to contain a journey out of and back to Iceland as a sort of frame for the story. We don't get any of that here. No, no. In fact, Thorsten stays with King Olaf for the rest of his life. And besides, the author isn't interested in Thorsten's evolution as a character like a typical King and Icelander story would be. Mm -hmm. um, so Iceland as a framing device isn't terribly useful here. Exactly. Uh, and another box isn't quite ticked off is Harris's alienation and reconciliation structure. Mm. So usually a typical King and Icelander story will bring the Icelander to court, place him into a situation where his foreignness or difference from the more successful members of court isolate him, and then have him get into some kind of trouble with the king as a result of this, uh, sometimes because of stiff-necked uh, pride or sometimes just because of Icelandic right. stubbornness. The real action of these stories begins when the king or prince sends the Icelander out on errands designed to test him or even perhaps to kill him. In the end, the Icelander proves more capable than most, and the story ends with a reconciliation between the Icelanders and those who doubted him, especially the king. Yeah, and we have seen that structure of alienation and reconciliation play out in a number of sagas. I mean, it was the basic formula for the foreign court episodes in the Warrior Poets sagas. So it's a familiar structure to most of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, I think. Right, and those King and Icelander thought are designed to make the Icelander look good in foreign courts, Norwegian courts in particular. Mm -hmm. Now, Andy, I ask you, how does the tale of Thorsten Shiver fit into that category? Well... You know, as you're talking about it, I, th I think it does and it doesn't. Uh, there's at least the hint of alienation for Thorsten in the way that King Olaf speaks about him as a stubborn Icelander. And we do get a test of sorts, though I, I guess no one really asked Thorstein to visit the outhouse that night. 
I think uh, I think only his own consumption asked him yeah. to visit the outhouse that night. Yes. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean there's no test. Plenty of characters test themselves by disobeying warnings. That's true. Um, oh, and there's there's also, I think, a hint of reconciliation. Mm. Thorstein does apologize to King Olaf for disobeying, and then he earns the king's respect with the story of his encounter with the demon and his claims of not being afraid. So I, it kind of fits, doesn't it? Kind of, yes. Uh, this is what John Lindau felt as well. Uh, he wasn't satisfied with the King and Icelander label for this one, and so he argued that it should be categorized under the conversion thought or heading because it deals specifically with King Olaf Tryggvason, who's a figure of the conversion to Christianity for Icelanders and many Scandinavians in the period. Mm, yeah. Now, Linda goes on to point out that the appearance of a demon and the references to pagan Norse heroes and kings makes this a much better fit for the pagan contact subgroup of the conversion thotter subgenre of thotter. See, now, I, I can see where he's coming from, uh, but I, I have a question for you. Let me ask you this. What's that? So what? So what? So what? Yes, I, I agree. This story doesn't fit perfectly into the King and Icelander category, and I can even see how it might fit slightly better into the conversion and pagan contact category that Lindau recommends. But if I'm being honest here, John, I don't really care. <laughs> Do you? I mean, I think it matters if we're interested in the taxonomy of literature, which, yes. you know, is kind of part of what we do. Uh, it is, but, but you know, no. you can only label things for so long. Right. No, it's not terribly important to the understanding of the text. Yeah. Right? You could happily read the story, analyze it, enjoy it without knowing whether it's representative of the conversion subgenre or not. Yeah, exactly. So if you, if you don't mind, let's move on to something that's far more interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we're here for, right, is to amuse you. So uh, yes. what's up? I want to talk about night. Night? Okay, what about night? I've become fascinated by stories of night lately and how representations of night in literature are used by authors. Like good night moon, so, that kind of thing? Sure. Okay. Night and the darkness of night have inspired a deep-rooted fear in the minds of mankind going back probably to our very beginning, if not before that, whatever that might be. I, I think you're seriously misreading good night moon, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's there. The whole point of that story is to reassure the child sure, as they're going to enough. bed that yep. all is well, yep. right? If there's this little mouse wandering around the room that definitely will not run across you while you sleep. Exactly. <laughs> no, but think about it. We, we're all we're vulnerable at night because we can't see and because our minds are programmed to create patterns and meaning from the patterns. So in the darkness, our minds struggle to accurately identify those patterns and create coherent, safe forms of meaning. Yep. Every shape in the shadows, every sound we hear is enhanced and then processed through a brain running in too many directions at once. And this is where fear takes new forms. This is where the boogeyman lurks. Well, or the demon in the privy. Yeah. Uh, it's not at all uncommon in medieval stories for demons to visit human beings at night. Mm -hmm. right? That's when humans are most vulnerable to temptation. Exactly. And all of this is especially true when one is alone in the darkness. Now, I could go on a lot longer about this, and I actually plan to one day, but for now, I just want to recognize the author's use of night in this story. Thorstein wakes up at night and goes outside by himself into the dark, into an unpleasant place. Mm -hmm. And that is where he encounters a demon, a demon that takes shape in the far end of the outhouse where the shadows are at their most powerful. It's at night that Thorstein confronts for this author's purpose, the pagan past of his people. All right, I'll, I'll grant you that one. That sounds right. Uh, it folds in nicely with the forms discussion from earlier, though. It does? How yeah, so? I mean, think about it. 
Olaf Tryggvason represents a new path for Icelanders, for good or ill. Mm -hmm. He's a figure of Christianity, a new way of thinking about the ordering of man and man's place in it. Uh, And perhaps more importantly, man's place when the world is done with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah. So, like, if this is a pagan contact story, a part of the conversion Thatcher subgenre you were talking about, then the author is using this setting, night, a time of preternatural darkness when we struggle to make sense of the world around us and long for light to guide us towards some certainty, right? He places Thorsten in the terrible darkness of an unpleasant outhouse that stands outside of the warmth of the hall to confront the Icelander with his pagan past through the demon from hell. Right, and that idea of um, the mead hall or the, the feasting hall representing human community and human experience, right? That's a widespread thing. I mean, bead yeah. even takes advantage of that. Yeah. So moving him outside the mead hall to be alone in the dark, right? That's a pretty strong allegory right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, a uh, a demon that claims to be a soldier in the army of the pagan king, Harold Wartooth, is uh, even more intimidating. Yeah. Uh, a demon that speaks of the tortures suffered by the heroes of pagan Scandinavian legend, right? Even Sigurd Fafnisbane, and Stark out the old. Yeah. And in the end, the church bells ring, right? King Olaf, mm-hmm. the savior king, has intervened and saved Thorsten. Something that Harold Wartooth couldn't do or Sigurd Fafnersbane or Stark out the old. Right. And in the morning, what does Thorsten, the stubborn Icelander, do? He abjects himself. He bows down before King Olaf and becomes his follower. Game, set, and match, right? Christianity wins. Through the mm-hmm. darkness, he found the light. Hallelujah. Yeah, that, yeah no, that's absolutely right. And, and how perfect that Thorsten claims not to have been afraid when confronting the demon in the darkness, only to then forever be marked by this nickname Shiver. Right. Well, it's a daily reminder of his experience. I mean, even if it's being presented as a celebration of his cavalier attitude toward the mm-hmm. danger, uh, it's a reminder of that real fear that he felt while sitting there exposed on the toilet in the darkness listening to these horrific screams of a demon mimicking the cries of pagan heroes as they suffer in the torments of hell. Yeah. See, it's such a short and seemingly innocuous story, but this thing, it packs a big punch. Yeah, and I mean, there is a lot more we could say about it, obviously. Yeah, like we could talk about outhouses. Yes, we could. Just like Knight, I'm fascinated by outhouses as literary devices. You don't see it that often, outhouses in Mm -hmm. stories, but it's a wonderful space to explore social behaviors, human vulnerabilities, Safe versus unsafe or inner versus outer spaces. All these universals we could squeeze from examples of outhouses in literature. It's very exciting. I mean, we absolutely could do that. And I would be fascinated to talk about outhouses, but I don't like the idea of squeezing outhouses. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Bad choice of words there. <laughs> but I think if we want to keep these saga shorts short, we should probably wrap things up for now. All right. Yeah. So if you don't want to squeeze the outhouses for all that they're worth, uh, I guess we could wrap it up. Well, instead of uh, going down the proverbial toilet hole of outhouses, why don't we try to answer a listener question before we uh, close up shop for the night? Oh, great idea. Yeah, I, just, I just happen to have the uh, the room sack right here by my side, John. Well, I mean, you've got to keep it safe, right? One never knows who might be lurking in the shadows waiting to grab at your rune sack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so how about one from uh, Celeste Taylor who wrote to us on our email, sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. Great. She's Hi, Celeste. Yeah, she's writing about a saga scene where there were men rowing to an island to cut hay. And Mm -hmm. one of us asked offhandedly why they were rowing out to cut hay. And she says, Uh as a farmer, I can answer that. Because 
hay is easier to move than sheep on a boat. So in Gretchen Saga, for example, she says there are sheep on an island that is only accessible by boat and ladder. Most likely weaned lambs are then dropped off and butchered carcasses are carried home, or there is breeding stock on the island. Because moving a lamb is relatively easy, but even with the smaller bodies of Icelandic sheep, trying to haul them down off of a cliff and then roll across a patch of sea is a lot of trouble for a little bit of meat. So with fodder ever in short supply, if there is a small island that grows good grass, better to bring the grass to the sheep than bring the sheep to the grass. So it's a little idea of how how this all works. I mean, first of all, I'm fascinated by the implication that Celeste's work as a farmer includes moving sheep by boat occasionally. That's true. Yes. Where is (laughs) Celeste? That is an unusual farming equipment right there. That's right. Uh, that's great, uh, but no, that's that sounds really good. That's uh, uh, I've never really thought about why you would have trouble moving sheep, especially if the idea is to butcher them and then move them. Right. But yeah, I mean, I suppose you're still having to deal with moving that weight up and down rope ladders or up and down cliffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a real problem. Or um, and and she's obviously talking about uh, Drangi there, the the island that Gretter hangs out on. Um, but there's any number of other islands um, where it would be easier to, without the rope ladders and everything, it's still easier right. to go and cut the hay, bring it back, and then feed your sheep at home. Right, so. especially if you've got you know an, uh, a servant in the household that you can send to go do this. I mean, you're not making this decision calculation based on is it easier for me personally to go do this. Right, right. You're you're sending somebody else to take care of this work for you. Absolutely. Um, so now now to her question. Um, she says she listened to our interview on the uh, mm-hmm. the runes with Dr. Ronhild Jolsund, Um And she said uh, Dr. Jolson talked about the language name Futhark being derived from the set of letters, which are most commonly found likened to what uh, we think A, B, C with our alphabet, right? So mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, but, but later in the episode, it is discussed that this isn't just carved in sticks or stones, but also engraved on an ornate sword. And we see this Futhark, those first couple letters, um, spelled out every once in a while on artifacts. Mm-hmm. So she asks, what if Futhark is not ABC, but more like Alpha and Omega? Maybe an acronym for a common prayer. She says, huh. I don't know runes or, and I don't speak Old Norse, so this is a very wild guess. So please steer me in the right direction. Right. I mean, I think we can say pretty definitively that the Futhark is um, – it's an arbitrary alphabet just like the alphabet is, right? That it's um, – the tradition of the order in which the letters go is simply passed down from one writer to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's – that that becomes established very quickly. And once the hard drive is set, there's no real reason to change it, right? People learn mnemonics. People create things like jewelry with the letters in that order. And so there's no reason to innovate there. Uh, so it, it remains the same. But uh, no, there's while there are poems and things that make use of the runes uh, and their sequences to uh, hide messages and that kind of thing, uh, they're working from an arbitrary letter set that's a rune set that's already there. Right? They're not making a case for the runes to be in a specific order. Uh, so no, I think I think it's it is fairly clearly just an alphabetic sequence. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, but I do want to say, uh, since we had a chance to bring up uh, Dr. Losland, I recently picked up a book for my kids, uh, and I wanted to mention it. Uh, it's called Vikings in 30 Seconds, and uh, Dr. Ronhild Losland is the consultant for that book. Uh, and it's a very good book. It's very accurate. It's written by Philip Steele, uh, illustrated by Steph Murphy. Uh, it's published by – hang on. I've got a copy of it right here. It's published by Quarto Publishing, and it's it's really good for kids. Uh, my, my sons love it, and it's inspired my older son to now try to make a board game out of living in a Viking community. Nice. 
Uh, yeah, so it's really cool. And um, he's so got the time to do out. it now. Absolutely, he does. Uh, <laughs> but thank you, Celeste, for those questions. Those are great. Yeah. And we, we want to hear from everyone. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, a saga short every week. Uh, if for the month of April. So we're going to need questions from you. So let us know what you're thinking or what questions you have about any of the episodes that we've done or other stuff. And uh, you could reach out to us on Twitter where we are at Saga Thing Pod, on Facebook or Instagram at Saga Thing Podcast, or on our WordPress blog at sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. And of course, by email at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. Right. Or you can uh, write it on a roll of toilet paper lengthwise, unspool it down your local outdoor toilet, and wait for the devil of the latrine to bring us your note. Ooh. I can't think of any reason why that wouldn't work. I can't think of any reason why I would accept that note as it came up <laughs> out of the toilet for me. <laughs> Speaking of coming up out of the toilet, John, I want to extend a special. <laughs> How's that for a segue? You always like my segues. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I want to extend a special greeting to our friend Rob from uh, the oh, yes. Rankium podcast. He... Uh, he recently came down with a bit of the coronavirus, and uh, he had a heck of right. a time. Yeah. No, that does not sound like a good time for anybody. Absolutely. But I think he recorded an episode since then, and I feel like he's doing all right now. Uh-huh. So uh, let that be a warning to everyone out there in podcast land that uh, you don't want to mess with this virus. Take it from Rob. But, uh, John, we have uh, some amazing things in store for our listeners who are hiding out. We're going to be coming at you every Saga Sunday with uh, a new Saga short. What's up next? So we'll be back uh, next week with the next in our month-long series of Thouter readings with Thorarin Nephilson's tale. Ooh. Uh, give it a read in the meantime, and we'll talk to you then. Take care of yourselves, and thanks for listening. Bye for now. Hears the ding church dong, bells ringing. Ding dong.
Such a glorious Christmas time is here again. It's very hard to do this with you. 